something terrible has happened and <laughs> you'll never really find out. Well, you'll find out now. <laughs> um, we recorded a radio show today. It was called Liberations. And thinking back about what we discussed, I'm actually thinking it was quite a good show. Yeah, I think it was a pretty good show. I mean, we taught... It was inspired <laughs> in lots of ways by the idea of women's liberation, which is obviously something that I've been researching a lot this year because I've been artist in residence at Glasgow Women's Library. And tonight is the opening of 21 Revolutions, which is the exhibition which exhibits the outcomes of that project. So that we were trying to tie in with that. But through the discussion, we and we came up with lots of interesting things to do with the notion of freedom and what real freedom is in relation to commodities, I suppose, and how you think that you can sort of buy into freedom. Oliver looks so sad. I just feel really disappointed that I know that we can't do anything about it. Like, the broadcast is lost forever. I just, um, and also I suppose that I should say that we just tried to make a re-recorded version um, to offer up as, a, as a, a, a different version of the show, but that didn't really work either. So at the moment, we're stuck in a strange place where we're just recording this um dialogue about the fact that the show is lost um, and that it was called Liberations and so this is the audio that's going to exist on the mix cloud but I do feel sad because normally I, what I look forward to about the show is when I think in like years to come I'll be able to look back on these shows and listen to it as a sort of journal of the things that we were doing as people yeah. uh, in our lives at the time and watching how that progressed over the period of one year yeah and there forever there's going to be this one missing day where we had ideas about liberations uh ellie i suppose chose the theme because i was away for a week in liverpool and she had her first ever experience of being like liberated in the flat yeah uh because i wasn't there and i'm nearly always here and um also to celebrate 21 revolutions which celebrates 21 years of glasgow women's library um, I wanted to talk about my experience in Liverpool and um, coming to terms with the idea that I thought I was having a lot of kind of epiphanies this year and how they were liberating, but actually I began to realise that they weren't actually as sincere as I thought they were. And I wanted to advance my theory of real freedom in relation to transportation and to say something that I've been thinking about, about how a car does not make you free because you have to continually take it to the petrol station and put petrol in it. So you're lo locked into this system. And the theory is that if you the, the greatest trick you could ever learn in terms of your own freedom or your own liberation is to learn to live off a very, very low income. And if you're going to learn to live off a very, very low income, then you can be as free as is possible from that well, system within those of ca capital. Yeah, 
well, yes, this is true, but I think the thing is, like, I don't think that it's actually pragmatic or, or you know, t- to assume that people can do that because people do have... In a society where you're surrounded by things, I don't think it's actually very realistic to think that people can switch off from the idea that they're going to want things and have desires. And also, you know, when living your life or living your life project, whatever you're doing, like just on a day-to-day basis, certain things that you might see in the world will resonate with you. And acquiring those things might seem, although, yes, you're buying something... It might seem like as if it's part of, you know, you beginning to realise yourself a little bit more or temporarily you have a, a relationship to an object that you want to acquire. And I don't think that we can just condemn that outright and say that that is uh, wrong, especially when there's multiple markets. But a lot of that is a result of propaganda and a result of advertising. But it actually makes me think... Do you know what we should do, Oliver? Seeing we're just doing this, maybe we could talk a bit about. I mean, I thought we were both very, very, very sad that we mm. lost our broadcast. Our broadcast was liberated. You know, all it's completely free. It disappeared into the ether. Yeah, it became invisible, and it makes me think about we need to talk about what we might do for Maria Laura's yeah. project Orbits. Yeah, which is coming up in October, and we've been invited to do a special broadcast. But I was thinking about. Um, that idea of invisibility mm-hmm. and it does relate in some ways to the idea of fetishism or this this commodity fetishism because what you're talking about is wanting these objects mm-hmm. for some sort of reason that you can't it's, it's an intangible reason it's a thing that you can't really put your finger on. It's not so much the object, it's more the Well, it's something that's aura. embedded into the object. But I think, like, the danger of that is that um, there's some kind of psychological element to that, we could say. But actually, I think in the case of the Orbits Project, because it's about objecthood and invisibility, like, actually, I guess it's, like, it's something to do with metaphysics. Yeah. And... Um, I don't know what the relationship is in a lot of metaphysics to psychology uh, or understanding your psychology because I suppose the the one system of metaphysics that I'm most familiar with uh, is Kant's metaphysics and Kant's metaphysics isn't psychology because the conditions of psychology aren't universal and necessary so you can't systematize metaphysics if you use it psychologically because uh, there's no universal um, you there's no universal way of understanding metaphysics if if metaphysics brings psychology into it whereas what Kant wanted to do was make metaphysics completely objective completely objective hmm is this going to be useful for deciding what to do for orbits, um, should we? Well, I, d- finish d- our I think broadcast? it does. Well, I, what or I would we? say though about the podcast, and I think is very interesting, is because you know earlier in the year I talked about the certainty of insignificance on the radio yeah. show, and then I kind of continued to advance that, and um, 
I became one of the things that was problematic for me about the radio show in the back of my mind was that we were always archiving it and recording it. And I yeah. really loved this idea that we do these radio shows that we never archived and that we just talk and it doesn't matter. I know. But in reality, what I learn is that now I feel sad that I don't have this thing trapped. I feel really sad. But what is that sadness? Like, where does that sad? Like, where, where, where is that sadness from? I think it relates to this idea of the object, though, doesn't it? It's it relates to the idea of solidifying that ephemeral thing mm-hmm. in some format, and we do solidify it in that. I mean, the thing that I keep seeing in my head. When I'm this sadness, if you think about what's in your mind and and, and your emotions and how those things relate, is that little square, that little mixed cloud square Mm -hmm. with the the title of the broadcast on, and it's it's losing that object that I'm sad about, and I'm sad about, (laughs) I guess the things like you say how that square sums up. Not only that half hour period in time, but also everything that's happened in our lives in the intervening weeks since we last mm-hmm. created one of those objects. That's what I'm sad about. And it's it's really weird to think about maybe those broadcasts that we do for orbits shouldn't be archived. This is the thing, right? I think that that's very <laughs> interesting. And But then I think there's this block in my mind and that's why I became so interested in not archiving things because the block that comes into my mind or like the fear that comes in well fear isn't quite an accurate description of the feeling but it's something that seems so counterintuitive to any way of existing like the idea that you wouldn't document something yeah but in a way, I think that this has to be pushed a bit further. It's pure liberation. It's yeah. pure liberation. Yeah, to not be frightened that someone wouldn't remember something you've done. It's pure liberation. That's mm-hmm. what we str- strive for. And I just... Everything I do in my life is striving for the opposite. Like I'm already planning next year because I've become quite interested in the whole notion of archiving this year. But hence, well, setting up a new archive for mm-hmm. the Women's Library the National Museum of Roller Derby. Um, but my plan for next year, I don't know if I told you about this. You know, I've got that plastic box in my room, in the corner of my room, which okay. appeared earlier in the year. And I started to use You'll that. You'll be relieved to know that I don't spend enough time in your room to don't actually know about that plastic box. It's quite large. Bag. No, it's a box. Oh, is it grey and black? No, it's a big clear plastic box. Nope. Well, I bought a it, storage <laughs> box. But good in a way. You, I think it's better to have a flatmate that doesn't know that much about your bedroom. Oh, it's very good. I bought it to do, to just to, to be a, a safe depository for items relating to the Ellie Harrison archive. Okay. Because previous to that, I had a, just a pile of magazines, which was just accumulated in 2011 mm-hmm. on the floor collecting dust so I thought right I need to sort this out my plan for next year <laughs> is to actually really sort the archive out and to catalogue everything and to scan everything mm-hmm. and to make it so super obsessively well organised that I've all, you know I've created my own museum and I'm going to use the same <laughs> software that they use in the women's library to catalogue their museum archive mm, like I've planned this all out in my head but how sick is that well, it's just, I mean, it does relate to the book that we're both reading at the moment, 
I can't remember what his surname is. Gregory Shillette. Shillette or something like that. And because he's taught in the first Dark chapter, matter. he talks about that strange idea of archive, of the fact that MoMA now his... The, the Are you going to say what the book's called? Archived. Sorry, it's called Dark Matter. It's called Dark Matter. It's by Gregory Shillette. Uh, I'm not sure who it's published by. It's under Marxism and Culture. Perhaps that is actually the publishing body. I can't remember. I don't know. Anyway... Um, yeah, I mean, what he talks about is people who choose to be invisible, right, for kind of political, social reasons. Yeah. And as I'm reading it, I just think like, oh, yeah, it's so crazy that there that there are people doing that, especially in contrast with the fact that we live in a generation where basically everybody is archiving all the time, daily, yeah. really. Um, the majority of people are archiving their lives daily. And yeah. in this... Um, again, in something very that we don't really understand, like the internet, like what's what the internet is really. Like I, mean, I suppose people do, but I don't understand what the internet really is. I don't understand what the sentience of the internet is. But I am pouring my life more and more into it. The the thing that I always feel really worried about when it comes to the internet is how much we're contributing to the internet's own understanding of how humanity works. You know this thought experiment, the computer. For computers, like the Chinese room experiment where there's a man and he's locked in a room and he's got a dictionary of Chinese symbols and there's a woman on the other side and she posts a note through to him written in Chinese. Right. And he doesn't understand Chinese, but he can respond to her because he's got the book. And so it's like a metaphor for computers. But if we keep putting more and more into that book, shall we say... Yeah. The more and more subtle that understanding comes, it will still be a computerized knowledge, but it can become so subtle, so finely attuned that at what point does that flip over into an ability to understand humanity so much that there is a possibility of some kind of sentience or at least a simulation of sentience to a very high degree? And I don't I mean if if you think about how if how humanity is going to be documented in that format then it does become a competition between individuals or for those who choose to document different things as to what becomes part of history or what becomes remembered and I had a conversation with my mum about this archive when she was up and she referred to my uncle Harry Harrison who we've not given a shout out to yet Harry Harrison I don't think he listens but he never got married and doesn't have any children and he is an obsessive self-document i mean he's written the family histories of all four of my grandparents so both Mm. of his parents and then the two that aren't even (laughs) related to him at all he's written their entire family histories as well now he's working on his own memoirs which goes through his entire life looking at different periods of time and documenting them through all of this material that he's collected. So they'll each go into a book format. And we, me and my mum had a discussion about why this might be and whether it relates to the fact that if you've got no legacy in the form of, like, offspring, yeah, mm. that you it becomes more of a central concern that you make sure that you live on in some other form. Mm-hmm. So whether that, that's creating some material form, whether it's a book or some other sort of archive, so that you will become remembered and that you will become part of history. Mm-hmm. And when I think about my archive, I think about 
because there's something in like in dark matter i'm sure or it's something in no it's in it's something else i read about archives recently oh it's in an old it's in an old monthly but it's a mike kelly quote and it's about um if you don't write your own history somebody else is going to write for yeah. you and it's not going to be the history that you want yes but that is true the history that you want yeah but actually I wonder whether psychologically... It's, it's one of the characters that I think that has had a massive impact on the whole of Western thought and never wrote anything down, right? We've got Socrates. Oh, yeah, but he had Plato to write it all down for he him. He did have Plato to write it all down for him, but I don't think that he was working in that knowledge that Plato would then come along and think, oh, we should definitely write all this down. Yeah. Um... And I think that that's very interesting. One of the, when I was trying to think about alternative ways of documenting things, and I was thinking about Tino Segal's, um, you know, non-documentation, yeah. and I was thinking about a certain type of transmissive documentation which could come through convivial conversation. And what, we would, what would happen is that uh, the way that we would judge the strength of someone's work is not yeah. through how well they can archive their own work, uh -huh. but how much other people talked about it after they experienced the work. Because for me, that's a much better marker of whether a piece of work is impactful and useful to other people. It's not whether you can Google yourself and say, well, I've got loads of hits, so therefore, you know, people... If people in the pub go away after an experience and talk about it for ages, mm. that's a good marker. And it's also a marker that you'll never know because yeah. it will happen outside of your knowledge. But it doesn't matter because really if what you want to do is contribute to the world mm. rather than just memorialise yourself, which I would say contributing to the world psychologically is a lot better than memorialising yourself. Yeah. Um, that level of documentation and how people are documenting you shouldn't really matter. It's just the more documentation, even if it's right or wrong, mm. that means that you've been successful because it affected people and they want to talk about it. How can you affect... I completely agree with that. But, but it's, you can't measure it. Yeah, you can't measure it. That's you can't measure it because you can't measure it in terms of press coverage and you can't measure it because that just comes down to who can write the best press mm -hmm. release or who's got the best contacts or who can actually disseminate work in the most effective way, yeah. which isn't democratic. It's about, you know, knowing how to work the system. Yeah. And because when I think about our two listeners, <laughs> the only two people in the world who heard the previous broadcast, Liberations. We don't know who those people are. I, I would like to know who they are, mm -hmm. actually. We should put a shout out. Yeah, to try touch. To, But it's like whether we said anything or whether if you look at all those other mixed cloud broadcasts, but I prefer to talk about this one that's mm -hmm. lost now. There's two people. We need to try and find them, Oliver. We need to try to well, find I them. Would, do you know, I was... How much Sorry. will it affect them? Like, how much what happened? Will anything that we said in that broadcast have any have have had any resonance? It would be interesting to try to get them to recall what they heard. Well, do you know this? I'm sure you must be aware of this project, but I was thinking about it a lot when I was coming up with this idea of transmissive documentation. I was thinking about low profiles. Have you seen our work project? You know where they've made those calls for people who've seen their work 
to respond to it through a video or through recreating something. I think that that's a really interesting... The only slight flaw is that it's been self-initiated again. Yeah. So it's like... uh, And ours would be as well, so actually it would be flawed because the, the the real thing would be that we would never mention it and maybe, can you imagine if we'd said something so profound that it stayed with someone for their whole life and you met them 20 years later and they didn't know who you were, but they talked about this radio show or you overheard it being talked about in a pub conversation? Well, we did say one thing in that broadcast. Well, we said a lot of things in that broadcast, but one thing specifically was promoting Adam Curtis's documentary Centre of the South, which I do think is a, you know, when I watched that, it changed my whole yeah, perception on life. And our position within history. So if anybody, those two people, <laughs> picked up and watched that broadcast as a result, uh, put documentary as a result of us, we'll never know. We'll never know. But it reminds me a little bit, because one thing that happened while Oliver was away is I had to rebroadcast our previous broadcast. Oh, yeah. Which one was it? I uh, think, rest- I believe it was Restarts. I rebroadcast Sensibility. it. No, it's oh, it yeah, sorry, restarts. And My bad. Um, because Oliver broadcast that while I was uh, away the previous week and didn't do it properly. Anyway, I had to rebroadcast it on a Tuesday evening so that it was in our, our um, show wheel of broadcast on Mixler in chronological order. And then I added mm-hmm. sensibilities on the Friday. And while I was doing that, on Tuesday evening, completely out of our normal schedule, somebody commented live. And that, in a way, is a bit like that, what do you call it? Transmissive documentation. Yeah. In a way, like somebody was listening. I don't know whether they thought we were doing it live. Mm-hmm. It wasn't. It was a rebroadcast. But they they shouted out, Ellie and Oliver, like they wanted to connect with us. Like it was a dialogue it wasn't a broadcast because it was it was a two-way thing, mm-hmm. and it made me think that it would be really nice to do a show in the future that is actively encouraging that dialogue between yeah. listeners and us. I mean, we are this method of reproduction that we're doing right now is dialogic, at least because it's between the two of us, so it is communicative. But but I wonder, as soon as we freeze it into a form, whether it just becomes monological again, so it's more just like labour, um, and how, like, labour reproduction, could, and, and I guess it becomes like work. So, yeah, we should do an open format show at some point, um, but we will give people a chance to know when that might happen, yeah. perhaps. And it's not happening next or, week. Or, no, perhaps just surprises. I mean, we'll keep our mixer open. Because the other thing... Yeah, we'd like people to really yeah, surprise drop, us. Drop a word in. While we're broadcasting. The other thing we're going to fit in before the end of the year is the Sue and Anne show, which... Getting a lot of, lot of popular which responses. Which is basically Ellie and Oliver's mums. I think Anne may be a, like, a little bit more easy to persuade than Sue. And where we're going to do it, but it might come up near Christmas. Yeah. But before then, we've got to do... The Orbits broadcast, yes. hopefully on the 18th of October, mm-hmm. followed by the Friendship Festival, which we'll be talking about more next about week. Next week, yeah. So please tune in next week for ne- for more information about that. But I'm just thinking, Oliver, we've been talking for 23 minutes now, 
This was a public a service announcement. A public service announcement to explain the lack of liberations. The fact to explain the fact that liberations has been liberated from all documentation or reach. But I'm just wondering, we have seven minutes left, and because we do have to decide what we're going to do for orbits, um, whether we should try and think right about now. it right now. I, do, I just don't know whether it's going to be that productive. focused. Um, perhaps we should resolve that outside of the radio arena. I tell you why I say that as well, because if we concretize it now and then it's going to exist forever on our archive, and the last time we did that, we said, oh yes, well, we're going to go to Edinburgh Arts Festival and we're going to work with Nadia Syed and this is the plan. Can I just explain? And of course, this we you can't control it. This, was in the, this was in the show Ideas, where we, it was an experiment to see if we could come up with an idea mm-hmm. for Edinburgh's festival afternoon special live on air. And I have to say, because I had so much fun during our afternoon special, and I have made a special short link, if you want to watch the video clip, which I love, elianoliver.co.uk slash afternoon special. You have to watch that. It's very it's, liberating. It's amazing. But... Because I got, was on such a high after that event, I re-listened to the programme Ideas, mm-hmm. really enjoyed uh, listening to what we'd said we'd do in relation to what we did. Mm-hmm. And actually, I know you were going to say that it was a disappointment because we mentioned Nadia coming and stuff, but that's irrelevant. What, yeah. we, what we created was... What we created yeah. on that broadcast. It's really amazing to listen mm-hmm. to it. It's r- and then to watch the video clip and to see. We had free falafels. We had a disco, uh, the, the daytime disco where people would just come and get totally liberated and get down. It was a beautiful thing. It was really, really, really amazing to see the, to hear the ideas and then to see it in real life. Yeah, no, I, I can see how that is nice and to trace that across... And with Nadia coming, I don't feel that disappointed because it would be um, not very realistic in terms of life experience to assume that just you're, you're going to say one thing, you can't assume that it's going to happen to the letter. Yeah. I mean, that would be very restrictive. It's nice to be a bit more liberated. Um, we could talk about orbits, but... Um, but I think we should talk about it after. Yeah, and and close to the day, we will do another little promo for Orbit, and we will also be doing promo for Glasgow's Friendship Festival uh, next week. So that ends this public service announcement uh, by Ellie and Oliver. Thanks for listening. Um, hopefully, you'll have enjoyed this as much as a normal show. And you don't even have to listen to the music because I hear that's a right drag for quite a lot of people. I know. And what was it we did play? Just so it's. We'll, we'll just give you an idea. I played "Man in the Mirror" by Michael Jackson. And I have to admit, when Oliver was when we had to listen to that drivel, and I was like, "Why have you picked that Michael Jackson song out of all of the Michael Jackson songs?" It's quite emotive, though. Oh my god, what quite an emotive song! And then I'm easily sucked into pop stars calling for liberation. I know, but I'd much rather listen to "Smooth Criminal" or. The one that goes, Annie, are you okay? Oh, that's the same one, isn't it? Yes, that is the same (laughs) one. And Ellie, what song did you play? I have no idea what it's called, but it is the song, if you want to hear it, that is the soundtrack 
to the clip of Ellie and Oliver's show's afternoon special, which you can watch by following that yes. link. It's the Herve remix of Kidder's um, All Under the Sun. It's a lovely song. It's actually really cool when the bass really kicks in. Really cool. So that ends this public service announcement from Ellie and Oliver. It's virgin on being longer than an actual Ellie and Oliver show. Um, we, need to cu- we need to cut it off now. It's getting on for 28 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening. And we'll be back on Friday. And hopefully our next broadcast will be properly documented and added to the archive. Yay!